Well, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 12. We'll pick up in verse 9. Uh, Romans 12, uh, 9, when we get started. It was the first year I was working in student ministry down in Mississippi, and one of the things that the students normally did was they helped out with a, with a benefit dinner that went, to, that went to benefit a local agency which tried to persuade women to not abort their children. And so it was something that the students rallied around. They got community service hours for, and a couple of the pastor's wives in the church were involved in the organization, so it was just a natural fit. And so a lot of the students were there, and so I went that night to help them coordinate things and, and help them uh, just, just as they served out, as they served. And the speaker that night was the mother of Tim Tebow. Now, this was back when Tim Tebow was still at Florida setting NCAA records and just being an incredible quarterback. And after, after, the, after she had delivered her address and after the dinner was over, I saw one of the pastors that I worked with, and he was holding this glossy Tim Tebow photograph that his mother had given him that was autographed. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's really cool. It, we had a Super Bowl party that was going to be coming up in, in, just a couple, in just a couple weeks at the church. And I said, hey, you should give that to me so that we can give it away at the Super Bowl party. And he's like, not a chance. And, and so I noticed one of my students who could have cared less about football was also holding a Tim Tebow autographed picture. And I'm like, what's that all about? He's like, I don't know. I just talked to his mom and mentioned Tim and she handed it to me. And so I found all my students who didn't really care about football. And I sent them all up to Tim Tebow's mom to tell her they enjoyed watching her son play football so that she would give them the pictures. And then I would have them to give away at the Super Bowl party, which I thought was brilliant. It was a great idea. And so I had this stack of Tim Tebow autographed pictures sitting on my desk that I was going to give away to all of the students. And the other pastor who, who I first saw had the picture on his desk, sat his picture, and it was framed. I was going to give all of mine away. He selfishly was hanging on to his, but that's fine. That's neither here nor there. And so I started looking through these photos, and I noticed something was very strange. They were all signed in the exact same spot. And then I looked closer, and they were all signed in the exact same way. And there was no marker mark. I found what we had was not an autographed Tim Tebow picture. It was what I call a photographed Tim Tebow picture. It was one of those laser deals where they laser inscribe the signature on top of the photo, taking something which I thought was four to $500 in value down to three or $4. And so I naturally decided to tell the other pastor who had his frame picture that he was holding on to a photograph. And he looked at it, and he, he denied it at first, but the evidence was too compelling. And he ripped open his frame, and he just tossed it to me, defeated and dejected. And that's a look that I savored, and I'll never forget as I saw it in his eyes. <laughs> but I had a problem. See, I... I advertised that we were giving away a future NFL star, which, well, that turned out to be a lie anyhow, but a future NFL star's autograph. What I thought was genuine was a counterfeit. What I thought was real wasn't. I mean, I don't know if you've seen one of the new $100 bills. 
I mean, it's incredible the level of detail that they've gone through to try to prevent people from counterfeiting them. And I'm sure the government will tell you it's impossible for them to be counterfeited. And I'm sure five minutes after they release them, the counterfeiters already figured out a way to counterfeit the money. I mean, you see it in New York City as you walk down certain back alleys with merchandise. You can get a Rolex for 30 bucks. We see it in merchandise. We see it in money. But one of the most dangerous areas we can ever see counterfeit in is emotion. Maybe, maybe you pretend to like somebody. Maybe you pretend to love somebody. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you're like the staff of Mission View and it's your boss. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe it's your spouse. As we look at Romans 12 this morning, we're going to look at love. And here's the thing. At our core, at our core, here's what we want for people at Mission View. We want you to be in an intimate relationship with God. Steve talked about that last week. We want you to love one another, be invested in community. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we want you to have influence in your world, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. So at our core, we want to possess a love for one another. And this morning as we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, what we're going to see is that love needs to be the real deal. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be legitimate, not counterfeit. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So this morning, we're going to look at, at six verses, and as we do, we're just going to go through, and I'm going to give you some principles, some principles uh, for, for, each, for each one. And the first is this, love. Really love. And, and this requires a balance. This love requires balance. It's, it's not enough just to hate evil. And we've seen churches where, where that's it, where their approach is, we're just going to protest. We're just going to stand on that which we are opposed to. And that's how they're known, and that's how they operate, and that's how they function. The problem is, Scripture tells us we need to have balance. It's not enough just to be against things. So on one hand, we need to abhor what is evil. We need to hate that which is evil, which is key. It's important. It is important that we have standards. It is important that we despise that which is wrong, because God does. And so taking from the nature of God and importing that into our lives, we need to possess a hatred for that which is evil. Why? Because that which is evil wrecks people's lives. You know why we need to hate that which is evil? Because we are compelled to love people. 
And out of that love comes just an abhorrence. When we see evil taking place, because we understand the potential it has to destroy, and we desperately want to protect those we care about. So on one hand, we need to abhor that which is evil. And yet there needs to be balance. It's not enough just to hate that which is evil. It's not enough just to abhor that which is evil. We need to hold fast to that which is good. And so we've seen churches that do this. It's all about grace. It's all about love. It's all about God's goodness. But there's no aspect of God's wrath, judgment, consequence, or even sin. This is why balance is so important. And true love requires balance. It requires moments of mercy, and it requires moments of tough love. That's true love. And we need to find that balance of hating that which is evil and holding fast to that which is good and operating within that balance. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We need to protect one another. We need to protect one another. If you've ever seen two brothers fighting, it's an incredible thing to watch. It is one of the most vicious, angry fights you will ever see in your entire life. It's incredible. Brothers have just that, just that ability to fight and to argue and to despise one another, and yet at the same time to protect and stand by one another. Why? Because they have the bond of family. They have the right to challenge their brother in ways no one else has the right because they have the family connection. how we need to live with one another, with brotherly affection. We will fight at times. We will argue at times. We will disagree at times. But if we are Christ followers, and that's the only way you can legitimately be part of Mission View, because the church is exclusively reserved for those who've made a decision to follow Jesus, it is an exclusive club. I mean, even if you're not a Christ follower, don't misunderstand me. We're so glad you're here. And, and we want you to be here, and we want you to come and to experience the, just worship and to hear God's word. But understand, you can't really be part of this thing unless you're a Christ follower. It's, it's reserved exclusively for, for Christians. It's just the way that God set it up and designed it. And so if you're here and, and you're a Christ follower and you're part of, you're part of the church, and as such, we have that family bond. We will disagree on things. And that's okay. It's okay. But at the end of the day, we need to protect one another. 
We need to stand beside one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This needs to be a contest. When in between my junior and senior year of high school, I helped contribute later on to the financial meltdown of this country because as a junior, as of finishing my junior year of high school, I went to a telemarketing agency where it was my job every night from five to nine o'clock to convince hardworking Americans that they needed to refinance and restructure their mortgages. The, I did not know the first thing about mortgages. All I know is that I've got the ability to sell. And so I would just sit on the phone and talk to people that, about concepts I had no understanding of whatsoever and convince them to join and do adjustable rate mortgages or subprime mortgages. And it was, a, it was an incredible time of my life. It was an incredible summer. I made more money that summer than any other summer, and I was quite successful at it. And we would have contests each week as, as you, would try to, you would try to sell more mortgages than anybody else. And, you know, we couldn't sell the mortgages. We would just set up the appointments. And so that was my, that was my shtick especially, is you don't even have to do anything, but let us tell you how we could save you money and who doesn't want to save money and so we had contests where people would win microwaves and and I didn't want a microwave I mean I was still a year off from college and so each week they would put out these contests and it would be I mean just absolutely brutal as we were going back and forth trying to sell more mortgages than the person next to us for for just a for just a cash prize or a microwave and if you didn't want the prize you could always cash it in for for the cash equivalent and it was great I loved it and it was competitive and it was fantastic and we need to take that philosophy and that mindset and apply it here in not selling things to people but in showing honor we need to speak highly of one another so this week Steve gets a text from somebody and they're like hey are you preaching this week and he's like, no? And they're like, well, I'm not coming. Now, you know, if I got that text and they're like, hey, Brian, are you preaching this week? I'm like, no. And they're like, I'm not coming. You know, I, I don't know what I'd say. Let me tell you how Steve responded. <laughs> it wasn't that epic. <laughs> Steve said, it's, it's not about whether it's me or Brian. It's about God's word going forth. And then the guy said, well, Brian <laughs> lacks passion and depth, which quite frankly, in terms of criticisms I've taken, are some of the nicest I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I mean, really, if you're going to criticize me, keep it along those lines, and we'll be friends forever. And he's just a kid. And Steve said he's a godly man. And I don't tell you that story so you feel bad for me. I don't tell you that story so you're all like, oh, Brian, you don't lack passion or depth. We love you. Here's why I tell you that story. Because Steve sets the tone. And he's a guy that has my back, the back of Mitch, Nick, Kelly, he believes in his team. And the majority of us, he doesn't understand. 
I mean, that's not a slight on him. Good luck understanding me, Mitch, or Nick. It just doesn't make sense. But he supports us. And he believes in us. And he shows us honor. And bosses, let me tell you something. That's somebody, and that's a trait that people want to work for. So if you're in charge, you set the tone. Husbands, you set the tone for your family. Show your wife, show your kids honor. Set the tone. And show one another honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Have passion. Have passion. There's this, there's this unspoken generation war going on right now, and a lot of it's finding its way into print and, and online, into, into online journals and magazines. But millennials are being criticized as lazy and entitled by Gen Xers and, and, the, younger, and the younger level of, of baby boomers. And there's this war going on between the younger baby boomers and Gen Xers looking at millennials and saying, ah, oh, they're just lazy. They don't want to work hard. They just want to live in their parents' basements. And, gen, and millennials are looking at Gen Xers and, and baby boomers and being like, we don't want to live in our parents' basements. We have to because of the way you guys have screwed everything up. And we're not lazy. You just don't understand us. And there's, there's, all, of, there's all of this going back and forth between the generations. And it's just, it's sometimes a question of being misunderstood. But like everything, there's, there's truth there. There's truth in the criticism. And, and there's, there's a level of, of just... The, yeah, you know, we, we all know the, the people who are younger who just want to sit in their mom's basement and play video games all the time. And don't waste your life on that. Have passion and have a purpose. Be zealous. Be fervent in spirit. Serve God with passion, with urgency, with intensity. Don't wait for the opportunity to come to you. In terms of service, look at it like an entrepreneur. You go and find the avenue for you to utilize your gift set. You go and find the way for you to use the talents and abilities that God has given you. Sometimes God will give us an open door and it will be incredibly clear. But sometimes we just need to make the first step. And then after we make the first step, we see what God's plan was all along. So you have a gift, you have a talent, you have an ability. Just start using it. And you will be amazed at what God will do through you. Have passion in serving God. And I promise you this. Serving God will lead to you more joy and more fulfillment than anything in this world. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer.
Keep perspective. Keep perspective. There will be good times. And when they happen, rejoice. Thank God for them. There will be times in your life where it seems like everything is going great. And even if you're a pessimist, you'll just be angry that you can't find enough things to complain about. And when that happens, just rejoice and thank God. And there will be times when life gets exceptionally hard. There will be circumstances you look at and you're not sure how you're going to make it. There will be appointments when you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis that you didn't want to hear. There will be times you look into the face of your grown child and you just wonder, where was that sweet kid? Her picture's right over there. It's on the wall. But the face you look into now, you don't even recognize anymore. You would give anything for your child just to, just to live a productive life and just to follow Jesus, and yet that's the last thing they want to do. You wonder, where did the joy go? Who is this person? There will be times you get the phone call that your job has been downsized. Or you log online and you look at the bank statement and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet this month. Be patient in tribulation. It's incredibly difficult. Don't give up. Be patient. And in everything, pray. Pray. When the times are good, pray. And historically, it seems... When people deal or nations deal with God's blessing, that's the time they fall away the most. Don't let that be you. Don't allow God's blessing to be the thing that pushes you away from Him. When the times are good, pray. When the times are tough, be patient. Pray. Keep perspective. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Be generous. Here's the fundamental truth of Scripture. Your resources are not yours. They are God's. God owns everything. You're merely a money manager. And one day you will give an account for how you did. Now, don't freak out if you aren't a CPA or an investment banker. It's okay. 
But just in everything, remember, your resources are not yours. They're God's. Be generous. Be generous. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Disagree without being disagreeable. Disagree without being disagreeable. Her name's Janine. She was a hardcore feminist in the 80s and going through grad school and writing position papers regularly, just blasting Jerry Falwell and the moral majority. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jerry Falwell was a, was a pastor who rose to some national prominence. The moral majority was a political, uh, political organization that supported primarily Republican candidates, probably all Republican candidates. In the 1980s was their heyday, and Jerry Falwell had the avenue through television, and, and he just he spoke frequently about his viewpoints. And there was, there was Janine, who, who was a, a, just a hardcore feminist, and she just hated Jerry Falwell, and she hated the moral majority for everything they stood for and traditional values of family, and she just really despised them. And so as she would write these position papers, she would contact uh, Jerry Falwell's church as well as the moral majority and try to access tapes and interviews so that she could just blast him in the articles that she would write going through grad school. Something incredible happened. Through all of her interactions with Jerry Falwell's people and the moral majority, she wanted to hate them so much. And what she found was at their core, she said they were the nicest people she'd ever spoken to. In fact, as it went on, she, she told them, I want this so that I can bury you. And they said, we'd be happy to send it to you anyways. And because of the way they conducted themselves, she began to listen to their message. And she gave her heart and her life to Jesus as a result of hearing Jerry Falwell preach. A woman who despised him. This was a man who reached over and hugged Larry Flint, the publisher and editor of Hustler magazine, and whose family received a letter. One of the first letters they received upon his passing was from Senator Ted Kennedy, who was a staunch opponent politically of everything Jerry Falwell stood for. Why? Because he understood the principle of disagreeing without being disagreeable. You say, Brian, the political discourse has changed since the 80s. Things have gotten much more vile. People get much more upset. And I say, great. That's fantastic. You say, the world and, and, and their, their opposition to Christianity has gotten much more vile, and they're much more opposed than they were in the 80s. And I say, great, because that's an opportunity. Let's make sure that we're not the people that would want to be featured on the news program. 
Let's make sure that we're not the people who are known for screaming down our opponents and making things personal. Let's disagree without being disagreeable. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Invest in the lives of others. Rejoice. Be there in the good times. Be engaged when things are going well. Mourn. Be there in the valleys. Things are difficult. Love. Protect one another. Have passion. Keep perspective. Be generous. Disagree without being disagreeable. Invest in the lives of others. This is what love looks like. This is what genuine love looks like. And this takes time. This takes time. I mean, this doesn't really happen on a Sunday morning. And so here's our challenge. We want to present and provide the avenues for this where it can actually happen. And so we try our best in community groups. And if you haven't signed up yet for a community group, which launched tonight, don't wait any longer. You need to sign up. But here's one of the problems that we have in community groups is there's this balance and it's not a nice and neat and perfect balance like I wish it was. And I don't know how we can ever get there. But we've got to find this balance between intimate relationships and allowing people to really invest in the lives of others and have those, those impactful and intimate relationships while at the same time being available to embrace new relationships. See, we can't just always be around the same people. Because while that's great, what happens is it, shut out, it shuts out those who are new, who've just given their life to Christ, who've just come to Mission View. So there's this delicate balance that we always have to walk. And we have to balance both in our community groups, but also in our interaction. It's easy to come to church on Sunday and, and just talk to the same five, six people that, that we know and we're really invested in. But we've got to go beyond that. And here's why. Because in the past couple weeks, I had a couple friends, one named Ben and one named Joel. And they both came to Mission View. And they were assaulted in the hallway with handshakes and hugs from the greeters, from, from people whose job it is. And yes, that's important, don't get me wrong, but you expect it when there's a position or a title. And then they came and they sat down in here. And nobody said hi to them. And I get it, it's tough. But I wonder how many people are walking out our doors without us ever getting the chance. We've got to find that balance. So here's the challenge for you. 
as your intimate relationships develop, be willing. Be willing on Sundays, each week, just to say hi to one person you don't know. You don't have to investigate them. Just start there. This takes time. There's always a balance. But we need to be known for our love. And it needs to be genuine. And I had over 750 postcards out in high schools telling them they had the chance to be given an autograph of an NFL star, which turned out to be a photograph. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And on the morning of the Super Bowl, a man named Melvin Geis came walking up to me. He said, you're having an event tonight, right? I said, yeah. He said, I saw the advertisement. You're giving away some pretty cool stuff. Like, yeah, we, we hope to. And he said, a couple years ago, I, I was given this as a gift. And I really like it. But I thought it'd be cool if you could use it, maybe impact somebody, you know, for the church or for Jesus. And he hands me an authentic, with the NFL stamp on there to prove it's authentic, signed picture of Peyton Manning. Said, give it away tonight. Yes! <laughs> I have the autograph. And that's exactly what we did. Peyton Manning undoubtedly will one day go into the Hall of Fame where he'll join a man named Jim Kelly, who was an incredible quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Yet his story is even more incredible than his feats on the football field. Check this out. 